Equipping a Marine doesn't only mean gear. Marines need grit, resilience, and above all else, paperwork. Let's be honest, paperwork is the heart of any government or military organization, and ensuring a Marine has their records and documentation in order is critical to their career and mission success. Admin officers are often the unsung heroes of a command. Manpower officers plan, track, monitor, coordinate, and distribute permanent manpower assets to meet staffing goals. They're behind the scenes ensuring Marines and sailors are ready to serve when the nation calls. I'm pleased to be joined by our guest, Staff Secretary from Marine Corps Systems Command, Captain Billy Barefoot. Welcome, Billy. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I know that you have a bit of an interesting background, so tell us a little bit about yourself, why you joined the Marine Corps, and your journey to get here to Systems Command. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a uh, an odd start, I guess. I joined straight out of high school, enlisted first, so graduated high school on a Friday. Monday, I was in San Diego on the footprint, so... I didn't get to go on the senior trip, you know, lost my uh, down payment to go to the Bahamas, but that's okay. Instead, I went for a three-month vacation to uh, MCRD San Diego. So I, um, I didn't really think beyond that. I, I knew that I needed some discipline in my life. I needed some structure. And I knew down the road, I wanted to go to college. You know, I haven't been the only kid that, uh, you know, in the parents didn't graduate high school, you know, I was the first one that had, you know, a desire to even go to college. But how the heck was I going to get there? And I knew that uh, I didn't have the discipline for it or the financial means. Um, but I knew that there was a pathway uh, through the military. And I looked at, you know, saw that they had the toughest boot camp. So I said, I want to do that. I want to be a Marine. A lot of people think that, yeah, you, you see the commercials, you're going to slay dragons, become an infantry Marine. Um, somehow I had the idea that I didn't want to necessarily do that. Uh, maybe it was I had a good, good recruiter who uh, we've stayed in touch. He's a good guy. But... I instead wanted to pursue something that would relate in, in, in a sense to finance, what I thought I wanted to do down the road. And so um, I originally went into um, administrative supply and specifically um, I was the fiscal guy always everywhere I went. And with that, you know, I was able to, uh, to do pretty well in the enlisted ranks, but I was always dead set on finishing my time, utilizing the GI Bill. Uh, to go to college. And then at the end of that, I knew that if I didn't like it out there in the uh, corporate world, that I knew I would love the Marine Corps, you know, on the on the officer side. I was in, I got out as a uh, as a super motivated sergeant. And during that time that I was in, the GI Bill kind of revamped. And so it became even better. It made, made it a much better. Oh, my gosh. I, Bill, right? Look, I thought, you know, from a little, little small town in Texas, you know, the original GI Bill was a lot of money to me. Hearing that, oh, wait, they're going to pay a housing allowance. They're going to pay me, you know, a, an E5 with dependent housing allowance and I can go to college anywhere. And so I knew I wanted to study finance um, and the best place to do that, uh, as much as I love the University of Texas or any Texas school, um, I wanted to go to, to, you know, the heart of finance. So I went to Manhattan. I wanted the best bang for my buck, if you will. So I went to a private school in New York City that was a partner of Yellow Ribbon Program. So they paid the remainder of that GI Bill didn't cover. And so that funded, uh, you know, my entire, you know, uh, college tuition and then housing while there. And I was fortunate to have a wife who also was a Marine veteran going to law school. And so we both got that GI Bill and got that income. So that's kind of how I landed, um, you know, landed outside the Marine Corps and did get into finance and worked for a couple firms. And at the end of the day, um, there was something missing. That's, no, no dragons in Wall Street? There's different kinds of dragons in Wall Street that you slay for sure. I definitely learned some 
super valuable things working in that industry. But what I also did was I got a great appreciation for little things that every Marine does, every service member does, every civilian and contractor that works for the military does that you don't realize until you're away from it. And those things, um, A, they definitely, I was able to incorporate that into that civilian career, but I was able to appreciate it and knew that I would be able to employ myself better on the backside, coming back in as an officer. And so, yeah, I kind of was, you know, looking for those dragons to slay and I didn't find it at the first firm and I thought I'd find it at the second firm and I didn't find it at the second firm, but I found it in a, in an officer program coming back in. Well, we're glad to have you back. Uh, So just how does being in the Marine Corps compare with being at Wall Street? Let me first hit on those little things that I know every Marine, and if anyone's listening to this, I know every Marine can relate to this. There are things that I, even though I was a motivated, squared away, private through sergeant, I did not like getting a haircut every week. I did not like shaving every day. I did not like, you know, being drug out, you know, oh, we got to go PT with a group three times a week. Why can't I just do it on my own? The reason you can't do it on your own is most people don't. Most people need that group, that camaraderie that you get, that what we sometimes call, um, you know, mandatory fun, if you will. Getting out, you realize that those things matter. Even though I didn't have to get a haircut every week on Wall Street, if I didn't get a haircut every couple of weeks and I did not look presentable, if I did not keep up with my, you know, my, my hygiene, my personal hygiene, my appearance, if I didn't, you know, I wasn't wearing camis every day, but I was wearing a suit. And if it didn't look good... You know, I wasn't rolling my sleeves, but if my if my suit didn't look well, uh, people take note of that. And so I, I found that, you know, I was very connected closely with a lot of veterans organizations uh, throughout Wall Street. There's some great ones I'd, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. Um, and those are the things that I really kind of gravitated towards. And uh, but noticing those things and realizing it, that's truly what gave me an appreciation that I knew I would be able to kind of pull back, you know, reach back and, and think about those things that, you know, being on this side. And I do. Um, but I will tell you, you know, on you know, maybe you notice Marines notice some officers, maybe they don't have a haircut first thing Monday morning, but hey, we're gonna make sure we're gonna get it throughout the week. And and there's little things like that that I maybe I was able to kind of uh, negotiate a little bit with myself. But those things matter. You, you know, how you appear and how you appear to others and how you treat others. It applies out there as well. So no PFT on Wall Street, but all the rest of the lessons are important. No, no PFT. I wish they would implement that. I think you'd have a lot less, uh, you know, financial meltdowns if people had a little bit better physical health. Right. It certainly feeds the mental health. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I hear that. Let's go to the job. Mm-hmm. You are the staff secretary here at Marine Corps Systems Command. A lot of people will call you the staff sec. Yeah. So what exactly is that job? What does it entail? That's a great question. A lot of people, because it has the word secretary in it, uh, we think of just as we think back to the days of slaying dragons, when we think of the uh, Marine Corps commercials, when we hear the word secretary, we think that maybe you're, you know, you're, you're answering phones for a specific person uh, or you're, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, receiving mail for a specific per- person or walking in stuff for a specific person. That's not the case with a staff secretary. So, you basically uh, are the, the, I don't want to say it's the last line before the commander receives whatever information has been aggregated throughout the command, um, but you're really the last administrative role of that, in that it's made its way, you know, from, you know, from the trenches up through the, the you know, getting polished along the way, goes through the, the G1 section, who the staff sec works very close with, and then it comes to the staff sec, and then he's making sure that 
Have the right people looked at this document? Does this document contain the right amount of information for the commander or the executive director to make an educated decision? So in a sense, you are a, uh, a staff officer, a, an advisor to the commander um, right there on the command deck to, to also field those questions back. Um, and so it goes both ways. So I kind of see it as a conduit or, you know, uh, at the, you know, the end of a funnel. That's also working very, you know, in close concert with the chief of staff, um, which is how I kind of see it is uh, the chief of staff, obviously, is my how I see is my first boss, my first line supervisor, if you will. And the commander uh, is my other boss, the one above it. And so it's an interesting role to play because there are many things that I do directly for the commander. But the majority of the things are, are you know, directly supporting staff, the chief of staff as well. I know when I'm talking about, you know, my day job, I say, hey, you know, I report to the commander for a whole bunch of things. But all roads to the commander's office go through the chief of staff's office first. That's right. Much of the work that you do is very much behind the scenes. So tell us, what does a typical day or a week look like for you in the office? Well, there's no typical day. Um, so what does an atypical day look like? <laughs> <laughs> an atypical day looks like today. No, I, I would say it starts with the first thing that, that, that I do. My first thing that I do in each day um, is basically turn over inf- any, any vital information that needs to be relayed uh, to, you know, to our duty that we have, uh, you know, on the command deck just to let them know, hey, we've got this general officer coming on deck today. We've got this VIP visitor coming. Make sure that, you know, that the, that the quarter deck squared away or we raise the right flag. And then, uh, and then starts the reading through emails, sifting through the inbox, uh, which anybody listening on here, if you've not received an email back from me, I'm sorry I didn't respond. There is many times where I promise you I read it, but I may not have uh, responded. He's busy recording a podcast. So that's back right. When that, he's done. That's right. I probably should have put it out and out of office. I'm really bad at that too, because the way I see it, honestly, the reason I don't uh, put out of office is because um, you know this role is also very closely related to what my primary voice is, right? Being a manpower officer and adjutant in that your phone's going to go off at any time. You're reading your emails at any time. And so it, there's not a whole lot of a way to nail down a typical day, but a lot of it is just staffing, um, managing the inflow and the outflow of information, fielding taskers, coordinating with outside organizations. But that is part of what I, what I like. As much as I love being an adjutant in the fleet, that is a lot more regimented. You know what's going on each day. Not to say that it's also not a knife fight out there as well, but here it's truly a different day every day. And, you know, it's, uh, I've enjoyed it. It's been two and that a half. It's exciting, right? It does. Yeah. It's, I, it's hard to believe it's been over two and a half years. So just, just before we came in uh, to record this, I was standing out front out by security talking and, and making some, some jokes with uh, the folks down there. A lot of people may not realize that we have a watchstander right. who, who stands the watch here at the command. And I think you have a bit of a role in organizing that. Can you tell us a bit more about what our watchstanders do, the duty officer? What are the responsibilities here? At the sure. Yeah, we're in a unique spot here um, in Quantico, out here on Hospital Point, and then we're kind of cut off from the rest of Quantico. So everything after the railroad tracks, right, get leading into Q-Town, is almost like uh, the Wild West. So once you come onto this, we'll, we'll call it sovereign territory here on Hospital Point. Uh, we do at 20, you know, 24 hours a day, uh, have somebody that's, that's standing watch, and they are the direct representative, you know, uh, a representative of the commander. And so any, anybody coming on to hospital point, they will know about it. We've got, you know, can't disclose too much physical security measures, but I'll tell you, you come on hospital point, you're being watched, you're being seen, we can monitor the, you know, what, what access you're, you're getting, but having a Marine, when you walk through the doors, 
there to, if you have any questions, if you need to, you know, see, see somebody or get in touch with someone, but also having somebody 24 hours a day, being able to uh, call the command deck. If you can't get in, can't get a hold of the command deck, you can always get a hold of the duty officer. So yeah, I play a role in, in, in making sure those guys are, you know, staffed daily. And the G1 is a big, big help with that. We've reworked some things. We've tried to, um, again, I guess everything ties back to manpower. Um, I've reorganized some things with the help of others to make sure that we're able to not only, you know, uh, fulfill that function of, you know, having a duty here, but also uh, making sure that they're able to also get the right amount of time to, uh, to do their daily job, right? Because it's, they're not a military police officer. They have, a, they have a job. So you just mentioned manpower in G1 in the same sentence there. Yeah. And I would normally have assumed that manpower, let's say you as a manpower officer, would fall under the G1, but that's not the way it works. So talk to us a little bit more about how is things arranged, but sure. you obviously work with G1 a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the things that when I first got orders here, um, I thought, well, this is odd. There's, there's one 01, 02 on the, you know, there's one uh, adjutant on the rolls. I thought it was going to be, you know, uh, the, like dual hatting, if you will, having two jobs being the staff sec and the G1. But that's not the case here. Through, in the fleet, the staff sec is, is internally sourced. It may be somebody that's brought up from the, you know, it might be a comm officer, some, some major from a logistics section or whatever, and they'll come up and they'll serve as staff sec, like the aide, for about a year, year and a half. Syscom's different. We staff somebody here. They get orders for three years. They're the staff sec for three years. But in that, there is the, definitely a close relationship between the staff sec and the G1. So even though we have a, a G1 here, they're not always going, the G1 is not always going to be uh, somebody that has an administrative background. They leverage the staff secretary who is an 01, so the senior administrator in the command. And so I, I work you know, very closely with the G1, specifically with the, uh, well, the G1 actual, but, but also um, the, uh, the gunnery sergeant down there, you know, the, the G1 chief. So all of the, you know, any manpower type questions, any, any, whether it's policy or directives or anything like that is brought to me. So it's kind of this weird thing where I have, you know, I, maybe it's a coincidence that I have two, I have two doors in my office. Uh, one is utilized, you know, the, the, all the staff comes through and sometimes folks that just need G1 type things come through the other door. I guess I wear two hats and, and have two doors. I don't know. It's funny when you say that, because when I picture the doors, I know I always come in the one. But yeah. there is another one. There is right. another one. Yeah, some people call that my uh, my escape hatch, and that may or may not be true. But uh, yeah, you can always get me on either door. So, so two, figuratively and literally, two doors. That's right. That's right. right. Maybe I'll need to try that other door sometime. Just give it a good knock. Are you nicer to the people that come into that door? I'm a little bit more suspicious. All right. uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no special services. Um, okay. But but yeah, it's it's a unique dynamic, and I and I will say that we've. Upon getting here, and then obviously it's been two and a half years, we have looked at I, any manpower officer, any staff officer, any advisor to a commander should always be looking at how can we better what we have? Can we can we do this differently? Can we do it better? And um, we, we, we have looked at that. We've looked at uh, other other things that we may incorporate, that we may do. It's It's been a really awesome time here seeing the different leadership, having, you know, have had two different commanders, three different chiefs of staff, Three different sergeants, majors, right. and, and then worked with the, with the aides as well. It's yeah, it's it's been good to see, but um, I've enjoyed my time here. So you talked about a bit of the differences in, in how your function and the G one function are, say here at Systems Command versus everywhere else. Mm -hmm. 
paperwork is paperwork, but what sorts of differences do we see, do you see rather, in paperwork here at this command vice what you might see in the fleet due to we're an acquisition command? Oh, vastly different. Very different. You know, in, in the fleet, your standard paperwork that you're going to get are, I would say, probably 80% administrate, personnel administrative in nature. Somebody did something, whether it's a legal report or it's an award report, or it is just simply the staffing of different exercises or deployments or you know manning of personnel. That's not the, the case here, right? Because we are... But you, know, you see are, that too, though. Yes. Okay, right. And so here, we see that. We see all of those things, right? We still have, we still have Marines here um, that we have to do those same things for, but we also see a lot more. And that's been really eye-opening. Um, and in in seeing, so you have to the staff sec that comes here, you know, has to not only just screen, you know, this typical, you know, well, let me look at the standard naval format and make sure this is grammatically and you know, punctuations in line. You've also got to see, okay, wh- what is this here? What are what are we looking? Has what is this coming from ground support? Is this coming from you know the logistics side? Is it coming from digital? And making sure that those folks have the right information. It was a fire hose. Of information, I like to tell people the first year, year and a half here uh, was a bit of a knife fight and just trying to, to gather the information and make sure that, you know, you're applying it in the right way. It, okay. it takes maybe that maybe that's why it's a three year billet is uh, it's not a, stif- a typical staff sick role. It takes a so while. Two years to figure it out and then a year to do that's, it right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It may seem like this last year. It's like, oh, he just he just kind of coast. He just like, what's he doing? Well, uh, you know, should have seen me the first year, year and a half. Right. Yeah, it was a lot of figuring things out, and and uh, it's someone mentioned it the other day. We were looking at different functions and how we can aggregate that and and you know kind of put it on paper. And someone mentioned, you know, it's it really is kind of more of an art than a science. You know, everywhere else you can just pull a pull a pub off the shelf and say, oh, this office operates like this. We're trying to make sure that we can you know make that aware, but but it it is a bit of uh, you have to have a bit of finesse and and I don't know we'll call it. Maybe play politics or be diplomatic in response and, and, and how you get things done. Here. So we say uh, we use an art versus a science a lot of times on the acquisition side, which rolls me into my next question that this command is also a bit of a white elephant in that we have so many civilians as a percentage of the overall command. Right. How does that impact you and or the G1 where, you know, if you were in your job at any most other commands in the Marine Corps, it's going to be all Marines. Right. What do you see different here? Well, right off the bat, yes, it's there's a different dynamic in dealing uh, in dealing with you know different personnel matters. The 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 G one here and the and you know obviously in, in the staff sec, when we talk about the personnel matters, very rarely are we dealing with civilian personnel matters. Usually, the only civilian personnel matters we'll deal with are if they're legal in nature uh, or, or along those lines, but. They obviously have kind of the human capital arm that they go through the civilian side with, but with the day to day functions, what you know, what I would love for Marines in the fleet to understand is that we have this perception, and I'll use the reserves as a as a as a, uh, as a point as well. Active duty Marines in the fleet, for the most part, and speaking for myself from back then, have a perception that we're the main force, like it's just the Marines against the world. But that's not the case. There's a there's a negative perception of the reserves. And I won't say, you know, the way that active duty folks think about that. They think a certain way about them until they're in their shoes and until they work around them. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, 
uh, they play a very pivotal role in not only the security of the nation, but also augmenting our force in across the spectrum. The same applies to a huge majority of the Marine Corps, are the civil, what we call the civilian Marines and the contractors that support us. And it has given me such a huge appreciation for the roles that they play. There are folks here in this command that I don't care that they don't have, you know, uh, brass on their collar uh, or, you know, wearing camis. You show them the same respect because they're going to show you the same respect. And they're in the trenches right there with you. And a lot of them, you know, a lot of them, if they could put on this uniform and go downrange, they would absolutely do it. So those are the things when I get passionate about, you know, working in an organization like this, that unfortunately, Marines in the fleet don't get, is that our civilian force here does a lot. They care or they wouldn't be here. Right. You know, and I've had that conversation on multiple, you know, uh, before the people that are in this organization specifically, and I'm sure there's others, but I'm going to be biased to this one. They care. They show up. They deal with BS on all fronts. They care. We have struggles. We have equipment that may not be as fast as whatever. We have, we have things, constraints that we have to deal with that our arms are tied with, with certain red tape. But yet, they may gripe a little bit, just like all of us, just like I do, but they continue to show up. And so that's given me a really, a really profound appreciation of the work that we do here. And then with you know, a, a clear dynamic that you see here, and it's one of the examples I brought is I wanted to talk about manpower. I want to talk about your average Marine. You have to take the average and you have to, therefore you have to take a, you know, what are their, we'll talk about age here. The, the highest percentage of age in the fleet, this is for, uh, for enlisted Marines, okay? Average age is between 22 and 24. Your next biggest bracket, you know, so that's 31%. Your next biggest one is 28% and that's 25 to 30. 60% that is less than 30. Now on the officer side, it's actually not much off that. Those are two the, 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 the largest age groups on that one are 25 to 30 at 30 percent and 31 to 40 at 45 percent. You know, you add those two together and your highest populations are between 22 and 30. OK, we're talking 60 to 70 percent of the Marine Corps is less than, 40, you know, is under 40. That's not the case here. Yet, yet these folks come to work and they are. My gosh, they've got fire in them like that freaking, you know, 22-year-old sergeant. We have, a, we have a lot of gray beards on the civilian I side. I tell you what, the command, there, right? there are some gray beards here, and I won't, uh, I won't say any specific names, but one in particular, is, I'm sure, is well aware. He will, he will outrun, I would say, 60% of the Marines of the fleet right now. There are folks that, that care, that, um, that, that work well. Age does not matter, you know, in this organization, uh, in this command. They, uh, they continue to perform well. So I love what you said a couple of minutes ago about uh, the reservists. I think the average American doesn't realize how much of our defense is wrapped up in the reserves. That's right. uh, it's just uh, amazing the percentage of, of our national defense is tied up with that. I appreciate that you recognize that. And I think when a lot of um, Marines and soldiers go to war, yeah. maybe they're surprised when they first get there and all these reservists are side by side. But that's the way we plan to go to war and, we, and, and it works pretty well for that's us. That's right. And again, this all goes back to when I talk about perspective that I did not have. The only reason I saw that is when I left active duty as a sergeant, there was about a five-month gap. Right? I had this all planned out. I was going to get out. I was going to put in an officer package for, you know, platoon leaders course, which is, you know, it's a fun summer camp. Uh, no, it's not. It's a, it is a, it's a, it's a grueling summer at officer candidate school during your summer break of college, and then you go back to college. And so 
while, you know, with recruiting station, New Jersey, it was a sergeant uh, at, at RS New Jersey and I knew the officer selection officer there. And, and I was thinking about putting in a MESEP package, you know, where you go straight, you know, you basically stay on active duty. They send you to college. You know, I, like I said, I was very set when I put my mind to something, I want to stick to it. But I realized, oh, there's this extra thing. I can just, you know, go to officer candidate school in the, during the summers. So, you know, I kind of worked that out with him. But that five-month gap, if you will, before getting off active duty and starting college, because that, you know, he was like, when you got your enrollment certificate, come to me. Until then, I'd say what, I, uh, I picked up golf and I uh, fished every day while my wife, she was still on active duty. She had to get up and, you know, go in at 0530 for PT. I'd do a, you know, I'd go hit the, I'd go hit the links. That only lasted about a month until a friend of mine who was a prior service recruiter, he said, look, I'm not calling because I, well, I guess I am calling because I need a quota, but the supply section down here needs an active duty, uh, you know, a sergeant with active duty experience. So I went down to the reserve unit in New Jersey thinking those things that, that you know, I'm going to go down there and everybody's going to be messed up. No, it wasn't the case. You have some reserve folks down there um, that care that, you know, they're different in that they, you know, the dynamic is a little different. You may have a Lance Corporal that's a state trooper and his best friend or maybe his partner on the force is a master sergeant. That's also in that command. And so you're like, whoa, why is this Lance Corporal and this mass aren't chumming it up? Yeah, well, you know, they were just, you know, they just had each other's back, you know, out on, out on the freaking streets, you know, last week. This is, uh, this is not their day job, right? Their day job is something else. So you, you gain an under, uh, a real uh, appreciation for the work that they do. And I would not have had that if I didn't have that experience. What I love listening to you talk about your experience and, and relating it to some others is, that helps because I hear these things and I think in terms of my own experience. The dragon slaying Marine from the commercial, he went through MESEP. You were yeah. just talking about ones who were state troopers. General Schrader, former commander here, he went back to the civilian world, was looking at being a West Virginia state trooper, and then he came back in. Right. So, I mean, there's so many Marines out there with, with stories like what you're describing. So That's right. So that's great. I, I appreciate I, I love hearing it. So, all right. So let's go back to the job. Sure. Your role. Part of it, as I understand it, mm-hmm. is somewhat connecting the dots to other commands within the Corps, as well as some of our sister services, what they're doing. Tell us a little bit about what you do for that. Here on Quantico, obviously, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of commands that we, you know, uh, we do business with directly, whether that is, uh, you know, McQuill or CDNI or um, CD or, 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 or even just simply, you know, um, Weapons Training Battalion, for instance, right? There are things that we test, there are equipment that we field, and we have to have a relationship with not only with the fleet when we're doing these, these, you know, when we test these equipment or field them, but also we leverage, we leverage assets, you know, uh, other organizations here on Quantico. And obviously, you know, uh, McQuill's up and, you know, we, we're doing a lot with them. And, and um, I've, I've had the, the fortune of getting to see, you know, before I was going to come here, I was um, <clears throat> did a little bit of time with the Marine Corps shooting team. And was going to go over there, and that was going to be my, my job, ideally, for three years, was to be the team captain, and uh, uh, ultimately, you know, came here. But what I was able to do was kind of still have a bit of a liaison-type relationship and, and, and uh, had a good relationship with the commanding officer over there. And, and getting to see kind of how the relationship that I have just from a perspective as a shooter and then a guy over here at CISCOM and see how the relationship with, let's say, uh, you know, their, uh, their weapon production team over there and, you know, some of the, some of the testing units they've got over there and training units they have over there 
and seeing how, let's say, GCES, for instance, right. uh, interacts with them or PM Ammo, for that matter. R right now, the, I mean, there were some interesting questions I had uh, with with weapons training battalion, specifically ammo procurement and and PM Ammo, and trying to, to to bridge the gap. Well, we have folks here that are already fighting that, that are already doing that and working with them. And then obviously our proximity to, you know, just everything in the NCR, whether it's sister services, uh, you know, there's there's things that we do, you know, on a high level, obviously, uh, uh, you know, with the Navy, seeing how how those things tie into place and also industry. There's a lot of industry, obviously, here in the area. So I, as the staff, like, don't directly interact with those folks, but just getting to see the, uh, you know, connect the dots, like you said, actually, of, uh, of, of seeing where those things land. The only thing that I get to touch that's outside of CISCOM proper here is our command that, uh, you know, out on the West Coast, MIGTISA, and that it is a full-fledged command um, mm -hmm. that, that uh, reports directly up to us. They've got a great team out there and seeing what they do and being able to kind of, you know, work with them hand in hand as well as we've obviously got traces down south. It's uh, yeah, it's you, you've got to you've got to have, you know, multiple multiple pans on the, you know, on the stove going and wear a few different hats and orchestrate, if you will. So question, site audit. Sure. What's a site audit? We did one recently, right? We did. Yeah, we did. So, yeah, everybody loves getting audited, right? We yeah, all love every, it. Especially when when the inspector general gets to come down and, and and, you know, raise the rug, you know, and see what's all been swept underneath. So we take audit very seriously. We take IG inspections very seriously throughout the Marine Corps. And again, being a unique command, we have the, the fortune of having our own, uh, our own IG that is in concert with Headquarters Marine Corps IG. So MCTISA being that they're one of our subordinate commands, uh, we were able to, you know, they were, they, were due for, they were due for their checkup. Everybody's worried about going to the doctor for their checkup and everybody doesn't like getting inspected. Uh, but yeah, we went out there, went out to MCTISA, took a team out there, had some uh, some really helpful augments that came from the West Coast that we were able to leverage as well. And not surprising at all, McTissa did very well, you know. Um, but it's great getting to go over there. And I went over to inspect all the kind of the, the S1 functions, um, whether, you know, the, their, their awards process, their, uh, you know, DTS and, and government travel charge card. We have a fol folks here that kind of fall under the G1 that do that as well, that went out and, and uh Check them out on that and personnel administration, separations, um, retirement, things like that. And yeah, it was a, it was a really good inspection. I'm glad I was able to, to go out and be a part of that team. I got to, to do a little bit of that in my previous job as a division adjutant, but it was definitely more hands-on here. And uh, it was a great experience. Having been IG'd before, I mean, I kind of know what it is like to be on the, uh, the receiving end of that. So. Safety is a big one. So it is, it's quite the checklist, right? So. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit back to the acquisition function of the command. So you're inside the command, but you're kind of on the outside. You're right. not an acquisition officer, right. so you don't have those responsibilities. What insights do you have? What have you learned about how that process happens here in the command that maybe sort of from an outsider's perspective you can explain to the listeners? One thing that I was most impressed with here and getting this to see was the process of acquisition, right? Let's say we have a demand. We need something for the fleet. Right. We get a response or, you know, and we, we see who who is the best uh, you know, person place to actually get this thing for us so that we can actually make it and distribute it. Right. Get it to the get it to the hands of the Marines. A lot of times what we are able to do and I'm this is the dummy version of this. Right. This is coming from a non-acquisitions guy. OK. Barney style. 
what we often have the ability to do is look at one of our biggest sister service, right? The Army. They obviously have a massive budget. They also obviously have massive contracts and, and, and have uh, done a lot, in, obviously, in the world of acquisitions. So many times we're able to just, if you will, piggyback off of them or say, hey, you're getting 10 million of these widgets. Hey, I tell you what, can we hop on that? Tell that distributor to make it 15 and we'll get five. Okay. And by doing that, just like buying in bulk at Costco, you're going to get a better deal. So a lot of the things that we have in the Marine Corps, we were able to to utilize a contract uh, from somebody else. Well, one of my favorite things that had that that are in the hands of Marines every day. I'm so proud to say that it is a Marine product from the ground up, and that's the M27. That's you know um, our one of our latest rifles. And holy cow, okay, it is a an amazing an amazing rifle. Again, that was that we had a demand, uh, and we wanted to make sure that we were going to facilitate that and get it into the hands of Marines. And so we had some folks here that did phenomenal things, got that built, got it uh, tested. It tested very well. And um, having to then see it on the other side and have my hands on it and shoot it. And on top of that, right, you can have a great weapon, but if you can't see what you're shooting at, you're going to have a hard time. That's a little dangerous. And so my next favorite thing that goes on top of that is the optic. And man, it is it, I love it so much more than the, uh, you know, than the RCO that was on that. And back when we, you know, I came in, we were shooting with iron sights. Right. So I'll right. tell you, it, I, it's come a long way from the, uh, you know, rack grade beat up M16 with iron sights to an amazing M27 with a phenomenal trigger and a great free floated barrel and a beautiful optic on top. Clearly, I, I like that. So listening to all that, okay. I, I got to go back to the producer, right? <laughs> Hey, Morgan, I mean, I thought we were interviewing the staff sec today, but it sounds like we got somebody from Infantry Weapons downstairs. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, and, and anybody on the rifle team that hears this is going to freaking, you know, some will cringe and some won't. There's a, there's a split down here with the Marine Corps shooting team, uh, specifically rifle, of our motto of every Marine rifleman. They like to say, well, that's not necessarily, a lot of grunts will also say, that's not necessarily the case. Well, I like to say that it is. I, in the sense that every Marine may not be an O3. They may not be an actual rifleman. But what makes us different is every Marine values marksmanship. And you can apply that across the spectrum. If you do not have good trigger control in your daily life, you're not going to be a little jittish. If you don't have good sight picture on something, you're probably not going to hit that target. And if you do not have good composure on the line, you're not going to have good composure you know, when you're actually in front of in front of your boss or delivering a product. So I love marksmanship. And yes, GCES, uh, it may seem like I'm coming from them. But we think of the Marine Corps, we think of an infantryman, right? That is the uh, it's the largest, you know, that's that's the bulk of the Marines. Again, going back to that, that uh, you know, those numbers, that is the bulk of the force. OK, but uh, underneath them, you got to have a lot of people that can, you know, transport them around. We got to have equipments to move things. So number two is uh, transportation. What do you think number three is? Logistics. Well, well, yeah, well, that's kind of part well, of that whole logistics, yeah, of right? Administration. A lot of okay. people do not realize we have a ton. I think the the the, the numbers here, right? Of uh, we're we're incorporating all of admin. So not only a, a manpower officer, or as you know, or most call it an adjutant, right? Um, yeah, you know, nearly twelve thousand. Right above that, you've got motor motor vehicle operators, obviously, that are in the fourteen thousands, but. We, I say that to, to, to hit on that admin is a big function. 
And it may not be the guy that's kicking in the doors, obviously, but it plays an integral role. And it's, so it's really kind of funny. It's, it's a weird thing that uh, people are like, I didn't know paperwork pushers can, you know, uh, can perform well on the line or can shoot well or whatever. And again, it, it comes down to everyone can. So you got here in summer of 2020. It's a three-year evolution here for you. Right. So summer 2023 is coming up. I understand you're going to be going off to school. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was um, for, very fortunate. I'm glad I got selected uh, to uh, the resident uh, expeditionary warfare school here. Okay. Very excited for that. Uh, a lot of good, good, not only good learning opportunities, but you really get uh, an opportunity to network uh, from, you know, the other students that come, not only throughout the fleet and not only throughout our sister services, but also international officers as well. So I'm looking forward to that, to not only uh, becoming more, uh, you know, a better well-rounded officer, uh, you know, MAGTAF officer of understanding the full concept of, of what we do, but that coordinating with, with uh, you know, with other branches and, and other countries. What kind of advice do you have for uh, any young Marines who might have an interest in uh, coming to work at Systems Command? You know, I, I'm going to continue to scream it from the rooftops everywhere I go. Do it. Um, go to Systems Command. Is, well, is, yeah, it's just to, to, to know about it. I think that what we're going to continue to do is uh, is leverage, you know, when we talk about different types of, uh, I don't even want to call it recruiting. I want to call it information spreading. Whether we hit, hit guys at EWS, whether we hit guys at NPS, you know, when they're out there getting their master's program, or, you know, fleet engagements. It needs to be all the time. And Marines that, that, that rotate from here, they need to be advocates of this place. Just as, you know, I talk about, I'm able to speak to guys about recruiting from my experience with Recruiting Station New Jersey. And I wasn't even recruited there, right? I, I was support staff there. I'm not an acquisitions guy, but you bet I'm going to be talking to guys about what we do here. And even though I don't have the ability to to see it from a you know program manager's perspective, I've had the luxury of seeing a little bit of a whole lot, and and able to talk on that and speak on that to, to folks. So you bet I'm going to be talking to when I'm at EWS up the hill. They're not just going to get their single engagement that the commander is going to come talk about. I will bring this place up whether we're talking about uh, you know different strategy sessions or different discussion groups leverage the experience that you've had and, and that's across the board but I'm definitely gonna gonna leverage my my time here and and um, be able to to speak and shine a good light it's been one of the absolute best commands I've I've been been to and and I mean that I mean that from both you know serving now with two different general officers and uh, three different you know colonels chiefs chief of staff I've learned a ton here well I have certainly enjoyed working with you while you've been here and I've definitely enjoyed conversation we've had today so before uh, we set you free and you get sure. to go and be captain barefoot you know staff sec again well look there's a meeting coming up you think we can extend this a little bit no i'm kidding go ahead so we do have a little thing that we do around here called the lightning round so i got some questions for you okay you ready to answer those i'm as ready as ever all right so when you were a child what did you want to be when you grew up this is going to be super nerdy super nerdy i actually wanted to be in my mind the only thing again I, you know i didn't have a whole lot of like direction in terms of like, hey, you need to go and get this education. And, you know, I was I literally was applauded if I if I got a seat, you know, if I if I just passed, I was it was like, hey, good job. You passed. Oh, good job. You're going to graduate high school. Good job. I, for some reason, I don't know how I think it was my uncle who was a Marine. He was a Marine in Vietnam. He was, I want to say, the only family member that ever, ever talked about the importance of college. 
And uh, I, I don't think that it's a coincidence that he's been very successful post Marine Corps as well. What I wanted to be a business guy, I want to be a businessman. But in my eyes, all I knew about business was accounting. I thought that that was business. And so that's, I uh, had a big part of why I wanted to go into uh, the, the fiscal side of, of supply was, you know, counting uh, or, you know, the, the, the budgeting of, of, of an account. Right. And I'll tell you that it worked out. I was able to leverage that. But yeah, I wanted to be an accountant until, until college. And I took accounting classes and I said, ah, Maybe not so I much. think finance is more, more the way to go. Finance is far more broad and it's more people based rather than just staring at spreadsheets. All right. So if you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be? For some reason in, in college, one figure really struck me. In, in Texas, I was probably because I was sleeping in high school so much. I didn't learn a whole lot about, I learned way more about Texas history than I did about U.S. history. So in college, I had a professor that was one of the best professors I've ever had. And his history class was arguably the best uh, college course I've had. It was probably the first time that I really learned about Frederick Douglass. I don't know what it was that made me so drawn to his story. Maybe it was the way that my professor, you know, spoke about him. But I was blown away that you take somebody that was never allowed to learn anything, let alone just learn to read, taught himself, was told that he was less than, right? Uh, you know, you're not, you're not going to be destined for greatness. Went beyond that, broke the bond, you know, bonds and was able to, hey, if I can't find that success here, I'm going to go somewhere where I can be successful. So the whole story of him going elsewhere and then what I found most important was not just making a, a better way for yourself, but turning around and bringing people up. And so his further fight in civil, you know, in, in, in different, you know, civil engagements of, I found that uh, the most interesting man in that he had a direct line, you know, he was able to, you know, come talk to the president. And I just find that so fascinating. So, yeah, for whatever reason, I know that's probably Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass. Hands down. That's my final answer. All right. Do you have any tips for maintaining a work-life balance? I will share a tip that, that a mentor here has told me. The work will be here tomorrow. You can guarantee that the inbox will, will fill back up. You can't guarantee what's going to happen to your family tomorrow. That's, that's profound. And so I, I need to practice that more often. I, at the end of the day, take my computer with me and thinking that I'm going to go and I'm going to work and, and I get there and it's like, be with your family. So I've, I've, especially this last year, I've tried to, to focus on that more, staying a little bit later in the mornings if I need to help, you know, get okay. the kids ready. So yeah, a tip would just be, um, you know, I'm a bit of a procrastinator, but it's okay to procrastinate if it's for your family. What's a TV show, book, movie or podcast that you'd recommend easy lonesome dove every red-blooded american should watch lonesome dove i like to call it a movie it's technically was a miniseries i mean truly it was it's a story you know it's not just a western it is a story about life all right name one actor that was in lonesome, lonesome dove robert duvall all right there we go he's my favorite he plays uh augustus mccray and okay. he's he's my character and you've got a dynamic there the other side is uh you know captain woodrow f Collier. And uh, played by that is, gosh, I forget, why do I forget his name? I'm drawing a blank right now. Clearly, clearly not as big of an impact. Robert well, Duvall. Robert Duvall, who was also in The Godfather. So. Right, and was also uh, uh, a Marine Corps pilot uh, in, uh, what's the name of that movie? Well, and he was Apocalypse Now. And some yeah, see, things, you know what I mean? He's so, a great guy. Right. Great guy, great movie. Well, Captain Barefoot, I have enjoyed having you in here. I've always enjoyed my conversations with you uh, whenever we run across him other in the hall or when Likewise. I come through the wrong door into your office and 
Listen, I'm going to put a sign up. You're always welcome in that other door. I appreciate it. So thanks for being here. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. This concludes another episode of Equipping the Corps. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. If so, please take a couple minutes to leave us a review, subscribe, and tell your friends about us. Until next time, stay safe. This is Trip Elliott signing off.